Okay. Make your way in. We'll go ahead and get started. Let's go ahead and pray and get started this morning. Um, bow your heads with me and we'll ask the Lord's blessing over this lesson. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time and this book and this, uh, this lesson of conscience. And we thank you for giving us a conscience and helping us to monitor and um, keep in check conscience. And Father, as we go through this lesson today, we pray that you would help us to uh, apply the, the biblical lessons that we have today and um, adjust our consciences according to your word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So this week we're starting on chapter 6 and we're going to go all the way through it, chapter 6. So it's going to be kind of quick. We'll save our questions till the end. Maybe there'll be a little extra time there. Um, the subject and title of chapter 6 is how should you relate to the people in other cultures when your conscience disagrees? And I'm going to give it a subtitle. Are we flexible or are we causing others to have to flex? That's kind of the idea of um, the chapter. And I want to start out by reading in God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at 19 through 23. And uh, as we read over this, I want us to listen for Paul's, um, Paul's use of his freedom or of his liberty. We've been talking a little bit about Christian liberty and how it comes with the conscience and how we're free to do this and we're free to do that. And sometimes other people are weaker and, it, and it's offensive for them to do those things. But let's listen to Paul as he as he um, as he, as we go through this. Verse nineteen. It starts off. It says, "For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law." though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Then Paul says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Listen to this part. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Verse 23, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. And before we even begin to look at uh, the book here, 
I want to bring out that when we enter into areas of other cultures, we often experience breakdown in communication. That's one of the first things that happens is we, we um, just have a difficult time communicating. And that can be verbal and nonverbal. Um, even when it's the same language, we can have difficulty communicating sometimes. And cross-cultural communication is, is investigating how people from different cultures and backgrounds um, communicate in similar and different ways and among themselves and how they endeavor to communicate across cultures. And today that's the bulk of what we're looking at is, is people of other cultures and how their consciences can be shaped different. And I want to say this, if we profess Christ, we're an ambassador for the kingdom of God. And when we travel to another culture, we're representing God, whether we do a good job or not. Whether we, whether we uphold and, and the things of God or, or whether we fall, we're, we're either doing a good job or a poor job of, of representing him. Uh, we're ambassadors. I think that's a good um, way to look at it as a, an ambassador. Uh, when we're at work or when we're on social media, we represent God. Um, as Christians, our ultimate desire is to communicate Christ. And to do so in a cross-cultural setting, we really need to be aware of, of, of that culture. And um, our quest has to be, how can we better communicate the gospel? And I'd like to say that our social media, it reaches out into all cultures, whether we like it or not. Um, very few of us actually try to adjust our, what we say in our social media, thinking about other cultures that might possibly be reading it. Um, I want to just uh, tell you a few stories about things that happened to me um, in a cultural cross-cultural setting when uh, when we were first married April and I were living in Costa Rica as missionaries and we had a friend named Barry and Barry was English and I had not spent a lot of time around the English but um, Barry would come over to our house and he would stay about three or four minutes and then he would leave and and it was a pretty good distance to our house, and we and you know we could and you had he he walked, and we couldn't really figure out what was happening. And then finally, I just being blunt, I just asked him. I said, Barry, why is it that you come to our house, and you stay maybe a minute or two, and you don't come in, you don't, you just you leave. And he said, Well, Joel, the English use. Um, T as a way to um, gauge whether a person is uh, wants to invite you into their home, and if if you would say, "Would you like to come in and have a cup of tea?" That means that you would entertain a guest. Otherwise, it means that you don't really 
want somebody to come by. And so this whole time, he thought that we didn't want to have him in our home. And I told him, I said, Barry, we're not from England. We don't know these things. We're from Mississippi, you know, and our tea's cold, you know. So there's, an, there's another thing. And so our, we, Barry and I are great friends, and we're still great friends today. He sent me a, a little message um, this morning. And we had a lot of experiences together, and I really thank God for the opportunities that we have because it, it really helped me to understand how difficult it is to communicate with a, with a different culture as I began my journey as a missionary. And one time, Barry and I were decided that we were going to go to a trash dump and we were going to evangelize some of the people that were in the working in the dump doing doing sorting and things and we had heard that there were about 25 people up there and we had prepared some tracks and some things and this uh, particular trash dump was um, on the side of a mountain and I was driving and Barry was in the passenger seat and we were on our way up and he said Joel let's go to the tip and I said okay and we got in the car and, and we were on our way up the hill and and uh, I saw the trash dump on the side and I just kept on going and he said, well, Joel, you, you passed it. And I said, well, no, we're going up to the tip. And uh, we kept driving and, 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 and he kept getting a little more and more irritated. And uh, it was tense. It was a spot where he was a little bit angry and I couldn't figure out why and he said well let's he kept saying let's go to the tip and I said well we're on our way and he said no you've passed it and I said well I know good and well that you know we're still going up you know and and then we got to the top of the mountain and we drove around a little bit and I said do you want to get out and he said no and I said all right and then we went back down and I turned into the into the dump and we went and we were angry with each other and we did our evangelism and I'm sure it went absolutely well because we were both angry with each other and and um, um, we went home and Barry didn't talk to me for two or three days and I had no clue what was wrong and finally I, I called him and I said Barry come over here and let's sit down and and I was like, what is going on? And he said, well, I got upset with you the other day when I was trying to tell you to turn into the tip and, and you wanted to go on up to the top of the mountain. I said, what are you talking about? What do you mean the tip? And he said, well, where you tip the rubbish, Joel? And then it dawned on me. He was talking about the tip as a place where you tipped the bin and I had no idea and that whole thing that whole two or three days and and our poor performance on evangelism happened because of our poor communication and our inability to communicate and you can see how these things really affect us and and it can happen here in the states it can happen between different cultures in the people are talking about different things and and you can 
make presumptions that people are being rude or you're being offended and and it can be easily resolved just by communication and a lot of these matters of conscience are um or, or can be resolved just by communicating better. And I, I really wanted to, as we look into cross-cultural communication, one of the most important things that I've learned is, is just, and it's really hard for me, is just being quiet for a little bit and listening to what somebody's trying to say and not trying to blurt out with what I'm thinking because most of the time that's wrong. And uh, if we'll just be quiet for a moment or two and completely hear somebody and, and the way they, uh, and, and try to, to figure out. And I took some classes about cross-cultural communication and two of the things that they said in that class was don't speak quickly about something. Listen and and uh, try to understand. And, and one of the other things was um, repeat what you've heard that person say so that if there's a glitch in your communication, it'll be, when you repeat it, they'll be like, no, 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 that's not at all what I said. But that needs to be in the background of our mind as we, as we look into these things about communication and, um, and our conscience and and how, how all this interplays with, with each other. And I'm gonna give you an example, a couple of, maybe a couple of examples of things just that I've experienced and, and different cultures is the same. And, and you can be offended and be wrong. You know, I, I have a little bumper sticker that says just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. You know, and I'm sure that's changed a lot of people's thoughts, you know, as, uh, as we've went forward, like all bumper stickers do. But um, in many Latin American countries, it's not polite. In fact, it's rude to open gifts at birthday parties. Now, this is a, a strange thing because when you get down there, you know, you're thinking, I've got this present, I hope they like it, and you give it to them, and you stand there, and you're waiting, and then they just don't open it, and they say, thank you, and they take it over, and they set it on a table, and they turn back, and they're spending time with the guests that have came, and you're like, well, aren't you going to open the presents? No, no, I'll do it later. And it's odd because you can, to us, it's odd. But it saves embarrassment to, in the poorer countries when some, one person's gift might not be as, as extravagant as another person's gift. Or, you know, and then you open them later and then no one's offended and no one, the gift giver's feelings aren't hurt. And they really do it to protect the feelings of the other people. They're being thoughtful. You know, and when we think about it in the reverse, it's really us that's not being thoughtful by wanting to, to have our gift open to see if it's approved of in front of the crowd. And, and, you know, we're really building ourselves up instead of the, giving the gifts. He who gives good gifts is wise. That's an interesting little, little thing there. But um, we love our friends, and we, we don't want them to be hurt 
And um, so we exercise restraint and self-discipline in these little areas. But these are things in culture that I of a good conscience would think it would be great to open up a gift and say, hey, thanks, but I also know that all my friends are probably of the same socioeconomic background, and I'm not going to be hurting somebody's feelings because they couldn't bring a gift as, as good as, as somebody else's. And so at weddings, at, at, um, at birthdays, at, at, at things like that, we um, honor our guests by not opening the gifts until all the guests have left. And uh, that was something that, that we experienced that we, we didn't know anything about. Um, when we talk about the weaker brother, we oftentimes go to a what can I do or what, how far can I push this? We've seen in, 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 even in our Sunday school studies, um, well, how can I do this and get by with it when, uh, when I, I have the, the Christian liberty to do that? Today in, in chapter 6, he, he takes that and he spins it with Post, Apostle Paul's um, teaching here. And, and what Matt was saying last week about answering the why, when we look at our motivations or our intentions about doing something, we're answering the why. So in the book, he opens telling a story about the mango tree. I know you guys probably read that and how he, for four years, grew this mango tree and uh, it had three mangoes on it and this guy was coming across and he, um, he was working in his yard or something and he, and he picked his mangoes and he ate them. And there, he says in the book that... Um, sharing food would be a higher priority than private property. And we as Americans, this, that, this take, took place in uh, Cambodia, but we as Americans have a, an extreme high value on private property. And um, this is something that he's telling us that these are kind of the things that you have to adjust as you begin to minister to to other people, you know, it's not uncommon. To, we we used to have people just jump in the back of our truck at a stop sign, you know, because they wanted a ride, and they didn't think anything was wrong with them just getting in the back of our truck because they knew we were on that road, and that was the road they were going on, and we were headed that way, you know. And and if we were in a pickup truck. I could say almost 90% of the time somebody would just jump in the back of it for a ride. It was just expected. Well, we were highly offended by that at first when we got there. People, even, even when we had a van, people would like jump on the ladder on the back and hang on the ladder for a free ride. And we used to joke about you know having Madison roll down the window and tickle them you know, while we were going down the road and stuff because we weren't used to that. We weren't used to sharing everything we had. We were private property people and we needed to calibrate our conscience in a way that, that reflected the norms of that culture. 
You know what the Nicaraguan people would think that we were stingy and selfish for not sharing our empty back of our truck. We thought that they were egotistical and rude for jumping in the back of our truck. The Apostle Paul in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians where he read said that he basically adjusts or he, he changes when he's in the, in the midst of Jews. He puts the ham sandwich behind his back. You know, he, when, he's, when he's ministering to the Gentiles, he becomes as a Gentile. So th- these things are so important that, that, we, that when cultures are so extremely different, what does Apostle Paul say at the end of that that we read today? I do it that I might win some. Over all, everything that he does, the gospel is the highest priority. We place a high value on individualism. You go to live in a, in a communist country to present the gospel where they do things in a more collective atmosphere. And you, you have to adjust some of the things. You know, some, sometimes we decide that this is right or wrong or offensive because of the ways that we grow up. And they're growing up a different way. And they've decided that these ways are right or wrong. Now, understand that our goal here is not really to decide what is right or what is wrong within the culture. Our goal is to make our message of the gospel more clear. As clear as possible without any limitations or distractions or or anything like that, we want to clean up our presentation of the gospel because that's what changes people. It's all great and wonderful to, to make somebody... You know, wear a shirt that's a, a native, native Ameri- a native uh, of some country or indigenous or something, but you haven't changed their heart. And he gets that. If you'd look with me on, on 121, um, here we can see how our conscience plays a role in the way we communicate and also see the importance of calibration. And he gives three... three um, dangers here and one of the dangers that he he talks about is preaching against something that isn't sin you know that we can do that we can get into a a habit of 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 preaching about or or talking or or just you know pushing something that that isn't really sin And, and he he gives some good examples here. You can read that on your seven. Uh, the second one is preaching against something that's only considered sin in the West. And the third was not valuing the virtues of our host culture. And what we're ending up doing here in all of these situations is we're allowing our freedoms 
to hinder the gospel. Then on page um, 125, he states that Christian modesty looks different in, in different places. You think about our Christian modesty here in church, and you take that to a Muslim nation, that we would be looked upon as immodest. But here in this culture, we feel the freedom to, to not do the things so drastic. But if we were to go there, we wouldn't want our, and I'll call it our perceived immodesty, to hinder the gospel. That's the idea behind this push in, in chapter 6 here. Um, and, then, and then he goes into this idea on, um, of the unexamined missionary and I'm, I'm skipping forward a little bit here um, missionary that his conscience is not calibrated to the culture and I've dealt with this quite often with myself and um, things that I've had to had to calibrate you know um, We have a tendency to assume that our consciences are highly advanced above the people that where we where we go. But we're all created in the image of God. So, and He says that that there's going to be a conscience in those in different people. Um, for some reason where we were in Nicaragua, there was a high number of people that were involved in, the, in, the, in a cult. And it was the Jesus name only cult, the Acts 238, um, Jesus name only. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, uh, oneness doctrine. And they believe that you had to be baptized in Jesus name because of Acts 228 says, baptized in Jesus name except you know we know that in Matthew it says also in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Ghost well, which one is right it's a short version in, in Acts and it's not really pinpointed but they've taken that one scripture and they've built a whole denomination around it and we for some reason a lot of the people that we dealt with came out of this. Um, oneness doctrine upholds that baptism is performed in the name of Jesus Christ rather than using the Trinitarian formula. Um, and it's most commonly associated with oneness Christology and the movement of oneness. And, it, and it's, uh, it's really a form of modalism. And... Um, so that's what's kind of going on. There was a lot of them, and God had showed grace to some, and they had been saved. And uh, 
it was difficult because they preached against tattoos. They preached against women cutting their hair. They preached against uh, short sleeves. Um, they pr preached against wedding rings and uh, stuff that you can even find in the Bible if you don't use hermeneutics or context, you know, and they, they just pick a little something and then, and then run with it to the furthest extreme. And, um, there, you know, there was these, they believed that the pastor had to wear a long sleeve shirt. And it's hot in Nicaragua. And a lot of times I had to preach out in the sun and without shade and, and all these things. And, um, but I wanted them to hear the gospel so badly that even though I knew my Christian liberty would allow me to preach the gospel in a short sleeve shirt if it had a collar. You know, I'm just kidding. It's all right. <laughs> you know, it, I knew that I had the Christian liberty to, to, to do that. However, I also knew that they weren't going to listen to me if I was standing up there in a short sleeve shirt. They weren't going to do it. So I did everything that I could within reason to make sure that they would listen. And, and people began to get saved because what they need to hear is the gospel. It's not because of what I'm doing or what I'm wearing or because I have a wedding ring on or because um, my wife has pierced her, e her ears. We had to go through terrible situations where we had people berating our children because the girls had put lipstick on or stuff like that and just it was difficult it was hard to to bring our children through that and and to help them to understand what all was going on and all these things and and um the christian liberties that um that we had and um I didn't want anything to block the gospel. Dr. Klassen in, uh, at, at SBTS was telling the story of an African tribe that um, there was a certain tree that you had to be under this tree and then anything that you said under this tree had to be the truth. So the missionaries, because the custom of the people was to hear the truth under that tree, that's where they would go to preach the gospel. Not because they, they, in their mind, weren't going to tell falsehoods everywhere else they were going to be, but the, the culture said to go to that one spot. And um, we want to be sure that the culture around us knows that we're speaking the truth, so we're going to do whatever we can do to aid that, to not hinder the gospel. Um, and to do that, you have to know what the culture around you is. And that's what he brings out in this book, uh, in chapter 6. Um, so, I had the habit of saying something that was highly offensive to, to my brothers in, uh, in Nicaragua. And uh, now, now I hear it's something that we say all the time, and, and it doesn't matter. In fact, that's what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. You know, Matt said it the other day when um, he was doing the lesson. 
And uh, all of us understood it well. It's a form of communication that we, um, there's some nonverbal communication implied in when we say it doesn't matter. And I was teaching a lesson about the regulatory principle of worship at my church, and we were talking about honing in the ability to make our music more Christ-centered. And I've been doing it for a month or so. And this one young man, Nestor, he, he was catching on. And he, I knew he understood that the lyrics of the song had to be Christ-centered and, the, and it had to focus on the gospel and it had to be true. And we were getting involved in those things and then what happened was he came to me one morning and he said, what song should I pick out for a Sunday service? And I said, it doesn't matter. But what, I'm, what I meant was, what I was trying to communicate was, I have enough faith and confidence that you understand what we're talking about that you can, I trust you to pick out the songs. Had I said that, it would have been, a, he would have been, Joyful that I placed my confidence in his ability and he would have picked great songs. But what I said was, it doesn't matter to me. What I was thinking was, it doesn't matter what you pick, Nestor, because you will do a good job. He was hurt and highly offended that we had just spent a month learning about the importance of godly songs and then I had just said, it doesn't matter. And so we're right back down to, to tweaking our conscience in, in knowing what we're saying and how we're communicating is so important and, and not becoming easily offended. Later on, Nestor had to tweak his conscience about the way that, that I did things because as we grew together as Christians, and this is the most wonderful thing about God's body of believers, as we grow together, our love for one another in our love for Christ causes us to tweak our consciences. And we begin to abandon this idea of what can I get by with and what do I have to put away when somebody's coming over to my house? Or what, what do I have to um, do to, to, in this situation? And then we begin to think, of what can I do? What are some possibilities for me to make this experience that I'm going to have with this person better? Because I want them to grow in the gospel. I want them to grow in Christ's likeness. And maybe by this experience that they have, there won't be these things in my life that, that trigger them to throw up a wall. And so that's, that's what we're looking at. And there's some absolutely wonderful, there's a list in um, my, my thoughts of teaching is, you can read this at your in your house, you know, and, and uh, we can. Uh, but on page one thirty three, there's a there's a great list of things that 
that you should go over and look about Christian liberty and and uh, and the ability to choose the things that you um, can abandon, um, and that that'll help us a lot. As I wrap it up, I just just wanted to bring out some cultural differences, gender roles. Uh, we have things in the United States that we believe is uh, roles of of um, gender that, that shouldn't be really crossed, you know, and uh, those are different in different cultures. Um, honor and justice and how those are served out. Um, we had an interesting thing that happened to, for, to us. We would have people come over to eat a lot and we noticed that the men would just sit at the table and uh, wait for April to fix them a plate. And at first we were like, man, that's rude. And we even said things like snarky little things because we're from Mississippi. We would say, your mama's not here today, so you're going to have to get up and fix your plate. And we thought it was funny. And then later on we found out that they didn't fix their own plate because they didn't know how much it was uh, afforded to them to take in the portions because they were poor people and they weren't used to having as much as you want to eat every time you sit down on a, on a table. So what they did was is they waited for someone to give them how much they could eat. And the person that the only person in the house that could give them how much to eat is the person that cooked the food because she knows how far it's going to go. You see how that is? What we thought was rude, they thought was polite. And it really was. <laughs> it's just different. And that's the kind of thing we have to work on even in, as a body of Christ here working with one another because that's what God does is he puts people together that are not the same. And he does that on purpose. He puts a Philippian jailer. He puts a woman that's selling purple and he puts a, a Roman uh, guard and he puts them all in one corporate worship program where they all praise God together and they all have that one person in the congregation that irritates them. And that person that irritates you is the person that's causing you to grow in Christ. So be thankful for that person. We call that person the EGR, the extra grace required. That's what that person is. And so if it requires you to have extra grace, it is good for you. And God puts people like that in your life. And that's the whole idea behind this chapter is adjusting your conscience for the ability to share the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this uh, lesson, chapter 6. We thank you for um, providing J.D. Crawley and and Brother Nacelli the to write this, and we pray that we could uh, adjust our consciences in a way that glorify you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.